Tomorrow is Anzac Day. There'll be poppies and bugles, there'll be dawn services, and we'll all say, lest we forget. But lest we forget has a couple of meanings. It means, of course, lest we forget the people who laid down their lives. And it also means lest we forget the horrors of war in a bid to stop them from happening again. But they are happening. The war in Ukraine is closing in on 500 days long. That's 500 days and nights of terror for its people, destruction of its cities and torment at the hands of its neighbour. But Ukraine hasn't buckled under this Russian pressure. It's pushed back at every chance it has refused to give in. And given that both sides are refusing to budge, how will this war ever end? Will this war ever end? They're big questions with just as big answers. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and we'll get to those questions in a moment. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Okay, we're, we're doing something a bit different today. So in a bid to answer those questions we talked about before, we're joined by Alexander Greif. He is a researcher at the Institute for Security and Peace based in Hamburg. Kia ora, Alexander. Hi. Let's maybe establish the setting at this point in time. To your mind, how is the war poised right now? Well, I mean, I think what we see right now is actually war of attrition, and we have been seeing this for quite some time. I mean, there have been minimal changes um, uh, at the front line since November, so for almost six months now. Uh, and despite this Russian offensive we have seen for a couple of weeks, actually not so much has changed uh, on the front line as such. In terms of how this ends, you've written quite an interesting piece for The Telegraph looking at this topic, and you've gone through four scenarios. Um, First of all, you identify uh, this as being a forever war, which doesn't sound great. Um, Can you expand on that? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, that is exactly where we are right now at the moment. Uh, Because, of course, I mean, there's this hope um, also on the Western side uh, that the Ukrainian counteroffensive, if, if it happens in the next month uh, in summer, uh, you know, will advance and, and lead to Russian retreat, maybe, um, as we have seen it uh, last autumn in Kherson and Kharkiv. Um, but just as uh, the Ukrainians and Russians have fortified their positions of defense now, they have built trenches, uh, it will be quite hard for Ukrainians too to advance, uh, similar to the Russians right now. So, um, I mean, it might be conceivable that at some point this simply becomes a question of resources, both financial and, and political, uh, but that can still take some time, you know, uh, not months, but, but years, one, two, three years. Uh, it really depends on how much the, the uh, parties to this war want to, want to engage and want to throw the resources into it. Uh, but we are not, not at, the, at the end of this process, unfortunately. Wow, I, that's the thing, Alex, I suppose, is that th- that sounds like almost the worst option here. Neither side possesses a decisive military superiority, but neither side is willing to compromise on what they want. And so it just turns into this brutal, bloody stalemate that takes 
who knows how long there's there's dream there's a dreadful option yeah you're absolutely right i mean uh, that that is the unfortunate scenario though that that many people have foreseen uh in 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 terms of how this war could could uh you know proceed and uh it all depends i think um you know on the political will of the parties and for ukraine particularly on you know how much uh, the west is is willing and able to support ukraine i think that will be a decisive factor your second scenario is a ceasefire that would entail both sides agreeing to some sort of terms. What could you imagine those terms looking like? Uh, well, it's a very difficult question. Um, I mean, there have been there have been uh, different proposals uh, for you know uh, kind of a, a peace agreement or a ceasefire. Um, I, although I think that these both terms are very different, um, I think what we're actually talking about, as you said, is, is a ceasefire, not so much the question of peace. Uh, unfortunately, for the Russians. Uh, if there is a ceasefire, they of course would like to see a recognition of the territorial gains uh, they have made so far, uh, and that is something that Ukraine, of course, will not um, will not agree to. Uh, what I could imagine is to have a ceasefire where this question of of the territories um, becomes a process, right? A process where this question is solved in one or another way, right? Preferably, of course, that these territories become part of Ukraine again, become integrated into the state. Um, another issue that has been discussed is, is guarantees, security guarantees for Ukraine, uh, because of course Ukraine would like to see assurances from the West in case of, you know, there is renewed aggression, um, and there would be kind of an automatic support. From my personal perspective, I think, you know, it's not quite right to think about a ceasefire as something that happens, you know, from now to tomorrow, but rather that we go on in, like, in smaller steps, um, where you have, you know, a ceasefire in a particular region, uh, or an operational pause for some time, um, and then there is a kind of a process that's moving on uh, for weeks, months, maybe even years. Uh, so I think that is the more reasonable um, assumption to make. Well, I mean, yeah, let, let's even maybe thought experiment this out because Finland has just joined NATO that that was ratified uh, very recently. Imagine a scenario, perhaps, where. Ukraine agrees to these terms, it secedes some territory, and as a condition of that, it's accepted into NATO. I mean, is that a viable uh, solution, or is that just way outside the blocks, Pollyanna-ish, whack job thinking there? Um, I mean, Ukraine uh, joining NATO, I think, is right now, now uh, unfortunately for Ukraine, not on the on the table. Uh, of course, Ukraine wants to join NATO, um, uh, but uh, this process, if it would happen, would take years. Uh, in some instances, has has taken decades. Um, so I think for Ukraine, it's maybe more important, you know, to have security guarantees and uh, to to be assured that the security is is safe. Right. This is really fascinating stuff, Alexander. Thanks for joining us for a special episode of Newsable today. We will be back with more from Alexander in just a minute. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're discussing how the Ukraine war could ever end with Alexander Graef, a researcher at the Institute for Security and Peace based in Hamburg. Alexander, your third scenario is Russian consolidation, gaining a decisive advantage. But all through the war, we've heard about Russia's combat ineptitude, bad equipment, poorly trained troops, indecisive leadership. So how would they achieve that? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I talk about consolidation, what I mean is that Russia might be able to consolidate its gains it has made so far in these four uh, annexed Ukrainian oblasts, right? Uh, so uh, Russia, um, I'm not sure if everyone knows this, does not control uh, fully two of these um, um, oblasts that is officially has already annexed, right? So it's a Kherson oblast uh, in the south, uh, but it's also the Donetsk oblast. Uh, and they they are now focusing on fighting in, in the Donetsk oblast actually to make more gains. Uh, and I think here uh, depends, of course, on a lot of factors. It's all contingent. But uh, Russia might be able to, to make these gains over time. It has tried so in the last weeks and months. It has not been so successful. But we see now that it's actually able to you know, make ground in some cities uh, at least. And uh, again, I mean, it all depends on, on factors like Western support or the ability to Russia actually to move in more troops, move in more equipment. Um, and I wouldn't exclude this possibility. But, but I think what is clear, uh, and that's very important for Ukraine, of course, that the original goals are not um, uh, able to, to achieve, they're not able to achieve the original goals anymore. That is to say, regime change in Ukraine or to occupy the full country. So I think that is that is an outcome that is clear by now. And finally, on the other side of the coin, a Ukrainian victory, of course. So how how do you see what do you what do you, what does that look like? Uh, good question. I mean, uh, it, it depends again on what we mean by Ukrainian victory. I mean, if Ukrainian victory is uh, about uh, as as you know the, the government says, we want to. Uh, free all all Ukrainian territory, including Crimea. Then I think this is not um, that's not an option that is looks quite likely at the moment. But uh, right now, I think if nothing changes, Ukrainian victory uh, would uh, mean you know successful successfully hold the Russians at the front line, and uh, you know maybe succeed in freeing some areas. But um, generally speaking, I think for Ukraine, uh, it's much more important to, you know, to survive successfully as a state, yeah, regardless of the territories, um, and to be able to develop into the future. So the, the question is, is this about you know, a peace that Ukraine can live with, or is this about absolute justice? And there will be a point at some, you know, in time when the government has to make a decision about that. It's, it's fascinating exploring this possibility, though, right? Because surely any Ukrainian victory in this is going to be hugely contingent on continued support from the West. And that is going to be a tricky thing to do diplomatically because um, economically, the, the, the costs, the opportunity costs of all of this material and all of this money are going to start mounting up. The West is dealing with a lot of issues at the moment, many Western countries, um, uh, skyrocketing inflation, um, other sort of domestic issues. Uh, war fatigue will set in at a certain stage in these countries and they will within themselves start asking do you know this isn't our fight why are we contributing so much to this um i'm not really sure what my question is here but i i suppose it's that that is that is a huge obstacle to overcome is it not and and something that 
it's not in Ukraine's control, I guess, and, and that could jeopardize everything in a sense. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this uh, the question of w- whether the West collectively right, can act and can deliver what's necessary to support Ukraine has always always been kind of the, the big question mark. Uh, so far, I would say it, you know, the West has been quite, quite successful, actually. Uh, you know, there are different groups that, that come together that provide uh, weaponry. Uh, but, you know, the bottom line is that, of course, the West could provide in a way much more if it wanted to. But as you said, these are political costs, these economic costs that not every state is, is willing to uh, to bear. One outcome that, of course, wasn't on your uh, list was nuclear conflict. Yeah, that's right. People do think that that's how this could end up as well. Uh, well, I mean, um, I, I wouldn't exclude it. I mean, many people say now, okay, um, using nuclear and nuclear weapons is not useful militarily in Ukraine. And I think that is right. It does not provide Russia with any gains um, for, for several reasons. Um, Russia, of course, on the other hand, has made threats, nuclear threats throughout the war, uh, you know, as a way of deterrence, uh, deterring the West, uh, deter Ukraine. This hasn't really worked. Um, so, uh, again, the question is, I think, nuclear use... Um, uh, be- becomes more likely the, the further we move you know, ahead in this war. Alexander Gray, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for listening to this special episode of Newsable. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow us on your favourite podcast player and leave us a rating and a review. It helps other listeners to discover the show and we'd really appreciate it. Even better, if you know someone who'd enjoy the pod, share it with them. Because it's Anzac Day tomorrow, we won't have a regular episode, but we will be back here on Wednesday morning with everything you need to know for the back half of the week. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo of that gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.